I can't do it. I'm 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 horrible at yeah. normal conversation. <laughs> yeah. Small talk. Well, you know that's the thing, Sutton. I think we're we're you know small talk is you know it's fine and and whatnot, but we really like to get into deep deep subjects mm-hmm. uh, and discuss you know you know history and geography and human nature and political philosophy and all all of this stuff. And so the small talk becomes can be a little bit harder, especially if it's forced. So, yeah, um, but we're actually not talking small talk or, or necessarily deep thoughts today. This is kind of a more of a, especially for me, a more of a um, reflective uh, podcast and a kind of a look back because today is uh, the 27th of May uh, and on the 25th, so two days ago, I celebrated, observed, remembered, whatever you want to call it, my 25th anniversary in and with Macedonia. Even though I'm not there right now, I'm recording this from uh, the foot of the Catalina Mountains in Oro Valley, Arizona. Uh, 25 years ago, well, 25 years ago in two days now, I am now into my 26th year with Macedonia, which is a kind of a, a interesting thought. A quarter of a century ago, I flew into Macedonia for the first time ever. I was on a week-long business trip in Croatia. If I recall correctly, I would, because w- one of our clients back then, I worked for a PR firm in uh, Washington, D.C., one of our clients was the Croatian National Tourist Board. Mm-hmm. This is 1996. So they were still, there was still a yep. war going on there, and the, the Croatian National Tourist Board had hired us to promote tourism into Croatia, well, even as, you know, Serbian shells and Montenegrin shells rained down on, on various parts of Croatia, including Zagreb at some point in and Dubrovnik, but that was early But it was affordable, what you're saying. <laughs> it was very affordable. <laughs> and, and actually, some of the journalists that we brought in, um, so we would, and th- we did this for about three years that I was with the firm, and we, re- we brought, we recruited American journalists, tourism uh-huh. journalists, uh, mainly print, but some TV. Uh, internet wasn't a big thing then. There wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of digital stuff. Uh, again, this is a quarter of a century ago. Uh, well, longer when we started working with the Croatian mm-hmm. National Tourist Board. And we'd, we'd have these organized trips. And one of those, two years in a row, we did the, what was called the Dalma- Dalmatia Cup, a yacht race down the Adriatic. Mm-hmm. And the Croatian government provided the yachts and the skippers. And the journalists that we recruited could either help crew the yacht mm-hmm. or travel along on land. And, and then we competed against other yachts, which had journalists from other countries, because the Croatian government was bringing in uh, journalists from all o- all over because they smartly, frankly, they wanted to keep the idea of tourism alive in Croatia even during the war because they knew at some point the war would end yeah. and people would come back. So good on them for that. And you were able to out- outrun the Serbian destroyers, I suppose. <laughs> That's right. Actually, so actually, the, the the coast was was fine. The Dalmatian coast was fine. Yeah, uh, but then yeah. the years that we were bringing people in. Although I do remember flying into. Zagreb on I think it was August 20, 1995, uh, during Operation Storm, uh-huh. uh, when they were shell when the Serbs were shelling Zagreb. From, yeah. um, I think it was Bosnia. I suppose so. And yeah. I had journalists with me. I had journalists with me. So here is your here's your briefing book. Here's your flak jacket. Here's your helmet. <laughs> no, not quite that bad. But anyway, it all it all worked yeah, out fine. Yeah, they hit Zagreb on that a number trip. of times with those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like missiles or something. Yeah. And so we, we went to, um, from there, from there, we went to the Istrian Peninsula. Um, but anyway, I, b- back on the, 
how I how I came to Macedonia. So I was at the end of a yacht race, I think, week long one of our week long yacht races down the Adriatic. It was a very difficult job for me. <laughs> uh, make sure that journalists have plenty of wine and food and, and whatnot. Uh, and I had a year a year previous to that, I had met um, a gentleman by the name of Terry Hasalius and his wife mm -hmm. Nell, and they were with a group called Mercy Corps, which was based in Portland, Oregon, still is humanitarian group. They had an office in Zagreb and an office in Budapest, and I I had met Terry on a trip in the region, actually in Pristina of all places, uh, with two congressmen in tow, which is another longer story. But anyway, we stayed in touch. This is spring of '95, and so spring of '96, he says, "I've got a th I'm moving my office from Zagreb and my office from Budapest to Skopje, and I've got a temporary job opening there because one of my employees from Budapest doesn't want to come." Mm -hmm. He says. Uh, do you want to come and work for three months? No guarantee longer than that. But I had been in D.C. for seven years. And I said, you know, why not? I'll have myself a little adventure. So at the end of that trip in 96, I tacked on three days, flew from Zagreb to Skopje, came to Macedonia for three days just to see if I could, you know, if I would like the place, yeah. if I would like the people. So I landed there on May 25, 1996. Uh, Terry and his wife weren't there yet. They got in at the end of those three days. But he had a taxi driver who picked me up and uh, spoke just a very little bit mm -hmm. of English. And he kind of took me around and dropped me off at their house on Voto. Um, and then I, so I had three days to kind of wander around by myself. And um, although I do remember the taxi driver, he took me up on Vodno <laughs> and uh, to see the sights, you know, and whatnot. And then what's the restaurant in the park, in Karadzki Park? Um, Uranus? Oh, wait. Uh, um... There is a volcanic and... Uh... The tennis courts. Oh, yeah, Urania. Yes, Urania. Yeah. Urania, Urania, yeah. So I'm, I remember he took me there. Um, and other than that, I just kind of was free to wander around. Um, and that was my plan. So at the end of three days, I said, and Terry and his, his wife, I think, drove in at mm -hmm. the end of those three days and said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come back. i come back in July of 90... Uh, July 15, I think it was 1996, and I'll stay for three months, and then I'll go back to How Washington. do you remember the date? You, my... uh, you know, because I wrote it all down. <laughs> that's how I remember a lot of stuff. That's a good, that's a good question, though, but I remember these things because I write it down. So Because other, otherwise I mean, it would be like uh, borderline uh, card ca counting or <laughs> you know something like that. Well, you got to remember, in, my, in a previous life, I was an accountant. Oh, yeah, yeah. A tax accountant. Mm -hmm. So I'm a re I call myself a recovering accountant. So it's uh, that so bad. You, numbers and... You flew into a war zone to escape accounting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I can be very strange in that way. Actually, since, since 2003, I have written... I've, I've keep an, keep, I keep a running log of where I sleep mm -hmm. and when. What, you know, what countries, what cities, what hotels, what campgrounds in the middle of the mountains of Arizona, things like that. So mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a very strange log, I guess. But it's, it's interesting because I can go back and find out where was I when on what date. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's just I'm a, a I'm sure the CIA, CIA is very grateful to your uh, uh, pet <laughs> <laughs> You know, and that's funny. You know, in the 25 years with Macedonia, of course, especially early on, you know, accused of being a CIA spy. Yeah, of the problem is I've never figured out where they sent my checks <laughs> because I haven't got yeah. them. Um, 
And so for services rendered, I'm not getting paid. I don't understand. But you got that a lot, I assume, like walking around Skopje and befriending oh, yeah. random Macedonians. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He's a, and of course, he's any... on to something. <laughs> he's up to something. <laughs> exactly. Well, and it's not so bad nowadays, but early on, you know, you go into a restaurant and you sit down by yourself and people start looking at you funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely, you know, spy. I, I I don't think it's the same any, as much anymore. No, and, and that's not strange if you actually have a companion uh, and not just tap on your phone all the time. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> that is funny. Um, uh, and it's, it's it, that's not peculiar to Macedonia, of course. Yeah, that's, yeah, of course. you know, I think any former communist country. But um, but yeah, so three days became three months, and somewhere in the middle of the three months, Terry said, "Well." Guess what? We can extend this for a year if you like. I said, yeah, okay, why not? I like it. I like the Macedonians. Um, and I uh, quit my job in, in uh, Washington, mm-hmm. put all my stuff into storage, thought I'd stay for a year, stayed for seven years, uh, bought this house where I'm recording now in Oro Valley, Arizona in 2003. But then, you know, most of the aughts, you know, even after I formally left Macedonia, I think... I know 2004 because <clears throat> I was there in February of 2004 when President Trykovsky uh, and eight of his colleagues perished. Um, I was working on a, a project uh, that had nothing to do with uh, with uh, PR or mm-hmm. anything else, but I was with him, with Boris, the day before he died. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and then stuck and then stayed for the funeral, obviously. And then Vilma uh, Trykovska, his, his widow, asked me to, you know, spend some time and create the foundation. Which then I spent most of 2004 there. And then, you know, five, six, seven, eight, mm-hmm. in 2008. Um, well, in 2007, I should say, uh, the government was preparing the uh, World Conference. Uh, on dialogue among religions and civilizations, mm-hmm. which Boris had started in 2003. So they were doing another one in 2007. Um, I think it was Zoran Yulevsky uh, was the ambassador in Washington at the time, and, and he said, uh, you know, we, we need a, 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 you know, a marquee name speaker for the, for the conference in Okrid. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you know anybody? And I, the only connection I had was through a Norwegian NGO mm-hmm. called Marita, which helps young young people, students, you know, stay off of drugs. <clears throat> and they had a branch in Skopje. Mm-hmm. And I was on the board. And the um, uh, the gentleman that created it, Leif Holstad, uh, Norwegian, one of his good friends is Morten Harkett, yeah. lead singer of AHA. Uh, you know, you say Morten Harkett, nobody knows the name, but as soon as you, you know, hit the opening tunes of Take yeah. On Me, everybody knows it. So, uh, so reached out to life who reached out to morton and and invited him to come down and morton said yes mm-hmm. <laughs> so so spent a weekend with morton harkett in in lake okrid uh which for me as an 80s guy was, was yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh and he brought his manager and friend at the time so goody ninerson who's a filmmaker by profession and anyway long story short that was 2007 2008 i went up to oslo for the release party for the album that Morton had been working on at the time, Letter from Egypt, which contains the song A Name is a Name. And that's where we agreed to make this documentary. So I spent a lot of 2009 in Macedonia uh, working on the film and whatnot. And then we released it at the end of 2009. Um, 
which frankly sounds like ancient history right now. This is 2021. That was 12 years ago. I still don't remember what day of the week this is. <laughs> ever ever yeah. since COVID. What is today? Today is Thursday. Today is, th this is episode 114 of the yeah. Macedonian Content Farmers Podcast. I'm Jason Miko, coming to you from the foot of the Catalina Mountains in Oro Valley, Arizona. And this is Svetin Shlemanov on a Thursday, <laughs> yeah, in, in Skopje, Macedonia. <laughs> yes, uh, episode 114, yeah. Um, but actually, it was kind of funny. I was thinking the other day, you know, I'm uh, 25 years in Macedonia. So, got all these memories, um, all these things I've done. Uh, you know, I've I've written a million words yeah, about Macedonia or for the Macedonia. And I've through my translated columns. at least like eight hundred thousand of those. <laughs> at least a half million of those, yes. And I want to thank you, Svetin, for doing that, for faithfully doing that. I appreciate it. You you know my voice better than anybody in 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 Macedonia. Um, and uh, our our friend uh, Elizabeth Bozhanovska also has translated a, a great yep. deal of work as well. Uh, but the film, the podcast, the writings. And I've got three ideas for three more films in my head, which may or may not. But I was thinking about this just the other day because I was thinking about our film, A Name is a Name. In 2009, no, sorry, 2029, 2019's already come and gone. 2029, A Name is a Name Revisited, or A Name is Still a Name, or You're Damn Well Right, A Name is a Name. Something, no, you know, too, <laughs> something like too that. Name too Furious. <laughs> <laughs> but. But it would be it would be a blast to go back and look at the people yeah, in the film for your and name find only. them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, go back and find them and sit down and and talk to them again and say, okay, you know, where are we? And who knows by two thousand twenty nine, you know, Macedonia still will not be in the European mm -hmm. Union, of course. Um, NATO may have broken up by then, um, and uh, Zaya will be out by then, of course, uh, or worse, hopefully long out. <laughs> or worse. <laughs> um, but, you know, I could, do the, I could do the film. I could tell you what everybody we're going to sit down with would say. I already know that. Pretty sure. Yeah, I doubt. Maybe some of the kids. Um, I doubt any I of know. them turned out uh, Zayev supporters, God forbid. Uh, yeah. Depends how many are st still sticking around the country, but I, I doubt. Uh, True. I still, I mean, actually, still can't even figure out who 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 are the people who votes for Zaya. <laughs> you know, yeah, I it's I have the same issue with uh, you know people that vote for Democrats yeah. over here. I don't understand it. Um, I don't under, I don't understand how you can vote for the left, other than you know it's because the left gives you stuff, mm -hmm. and of course there is no such thing as free stuff. It all comes from it's all paid for by somebody, but. Uh, there, well, that's the economic aspect, the 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 cultural, or um, uh, you know the culture wars aspect of it all. Of course, it's it's all about power and warped view of the world uh, that our friends on the left seem to have. So, um, gosh, but you know, twenty five years mm -hmm. ago, I keep coming back to that. You know, no cell phones. Uh, Macedonia wasn't even five years old as a as a independent modern-day nation-state, of course, Macedonia has an ancient, ancient history, but uh, it had just gained independence, you know, less than five years before that. Um, Chris Hill, the first U.S. ambassador, wasn't even there yet. Uh, uh, and uh, again, no cell phones. The internet was very new. So it was the golden age without uh, the U.S. embassy. 
It was. Victor Combros yep. was the charge there. Uh, no, don't even, I have no idea whatever happened. There. I met him in uh, DC. I interviewed him once and uh, we had really? the funniest moment. I, I notified him that at the moment uh, Branko Cervinkovsky and Dubček Gergievsky are in a coalition and he just looked at me funny like, is this guy crazy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is yeah. funny. Wow. Uh, he moved to, to Florida, of course. He had uh, a place Retired close now. to DC, and uh, after Macedonia, actually, he went uh, into. Uh, uh, he was uh, actually sent to Macedonia to uh, enforce the embargo on Serbia. So he was like an embargo expert. And after Macedonia, he went uh, on uh, formulating the Iraq sanctions and embargo. Hmm. And then I think he kept in this uh, line of work through the State Department and uh, the UN. He's like a, a, an, an embargo expert uh, of sorts. An embargo. Yeah. <laughs> but I assume he's retired now. Oh, yeah, he was retired in uh, yeah. 2012 yeah. when I met him. Yeah. Wow. So, I, yeah, I, I never met him, but I remember he was there before Chris. And then, of course, I've known all the ambassadors. Maybe not a... That's not like, something to brag about, honestly. I know, I know. But but the the only reason I bring that up is because... You know, not just the ambassadors, but also the staff, American staff at the embassy mm. or USAID. Even worse, uh, but in, continue. <laughs> yeah, or any of the other groups there is, is that, you know, they come and go, I'm, I don't know if I'm an expert on Macedonia or not, but I, but I do know one thing, and this sounds like a brag, maybe because it is, is, is I've forgotten more than they'll yeah. ever know about Macedonia. <laughs> uh, and it's just kind of, and they, they come in there with their, their worldview and which is always leftist, of course. Uh, and their their desire to force it on the Macedonians or any other country as well. The State Department is... They've gone so far left by now that I don't even recognize this is any recognizable ideology. Yeah. This is, I think they're just making yeah. it up as they, as they go along. Maybe even like a practical prank. Like, <laughs> you really thought we were going along with this? Yeah. By the way, the embassy didn't fly the uh, the uh, the BLM flag. I don't the other day, think so, but they had like a solemn and moment. I'm... They didn't post a picture of flying the flag or something like that, but they had a moment where the ambassador uh, had the staff around for like a solemn moment. They were like quiet and uh, a sullen looking. They didn't take a knee. No, I I responded to this. Yeah, I was surprised nobody took the knee. It's because they have weak knees. <laughs> oh. And when I say BLM, I don't mean the Bureau of Land Management, yeah. of course. Um, I'm referring to the neo-Marxist organization. So, uh, anyway, yeah, but I know they, 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 they put up the, uh, the uh, embassy in the rainbow colors the other day. I don't even know what day it was. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, yeah, this is unpleasant to talk about these things. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> ah, man, and I'm, uh, you know, thinking about all of the people that I have interacted with and known and still know uh but you know thinking about people that i interacted with early on and that i've lost touch with and whatnot and i i sometimes i have pangs of uh of um regret on on losing touch with people but you know if they're still around that certainly can uh certainly can uh rekindle those relationships mm -hmm. there's a few people uh back on an unpleasant subject there's a few people that um that uh were friends and then for whatever yeah. reason decided to turn on me. I guess 25 years in any place, you're bound to have enemies. So, uh, 
they're probably doing something right. And, exactly. I mean, yes. no, knowing some of the people yeah. who, who are like, who you cut off or they cut you off. I mean, that's, you're, you're they, doing they, well. They, they, yeah. You're yeah, better off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. But, but it, it's always better to focus on the positive things and positive aspects about uh, 25 years and with Macedonia and obviously first and foremost it's the relationships with people uh, and I think I've known you now for 20 of those 25 yeah, years so, about, yeah. you started because you started translate when I started writing for Denevnik in I think it was 2001 yeah after the war so sometime. yeah yeah um, gosh uh, you know and, and, and many of the other people that uh, that I've known for so long um, so yeah relationships first and foremost I've been blessed really really blessed i'm rich frankly rich in relationships and some of my closest friends are macedonian uh my closest friends on the planet i'd like to say yeah. uh actually my closest friends on the planet are not americans uh setting aside my own family here mm -hmm. um but they're uh, either macedonians or estonians so um but Anyway, um, we were introduced by, by Branko Girovsky. Speaking of people who, who we, we rather oh, not keep yes. in touch with anymore. That's right. Yes, that's fine. Yeah, quite wow. a few people went off the deep end here after through the years, and and you yeah. know, given everything that's happened, like I, I say, you would, you really, you you should be crazy not to not to go crazy around here. <laughs> I, I I fear more people who are like still keeping a sane demeanor and. <laughs> In this in this environment, <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't. No, I haven't gone crazy, or maybe I was crazy to begin with, because you know, I've I've always had this this wanderlust in me, and I think that's because when I was five months old, my parents up and moved us to England. Mm -hmm. My father was stationed at uh, Lake and Heath Royal Air Force Base there. So uh, now I don't remember. You know, I spent the first three years of my life growing up in England. I don't remember a bloody <laughs> thing, but. I know it had, and I know it had a great impact on me, which is why I'm an Anglophile. But I've got this wanderlust, which, you know, you know, a lot of people don't like to travel and prefer to be homebodies, and that's fine and that's good. But I, I, uh, I love to get out. Maybe that speaks to my somewhat crazy side. Um, but um, speaking of wanderlust, so have you, um, have you ever made it to? <laughs> this is a this is a bit of a running joke between the two of us. I've been there three or four times, and I'm still waiting for you to go. Yeah, still still working on those plans, like trying to okay All right. include it in my busy schedule of uh, moping around at home and <laughs> <laughs> good. I mean, like we're still under curfew for the coronas. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you're one of those. You actually like it. So yeah, no, uh, nothing much changed actually in my. Uh, I, I lost yeah. my uh, two or three trips to like Bulgaria or Greece during the year, right. but other than that, uh, eh, not really. Nothing much yeah. changed. Yeah, yeah. But you know, as I wrote in my uh, my column the other day um, on twenty five years with Macedonia, and going back to how I'm I'm blessed and rich in relationships, but and that's the first thing, of course, that that attracted me to Macedonia was was the people and the fact that they opened up their their doors and their their homes and their hearts to me a total stranger uh and that's what endeared me to macedonia was the macedonians but the second thing i think as i mentioned in the article of course is the uh, the beauty of macedonia and of course i come from the great sovereign state of arizona with the grand canyon and and uh and so much other natural beauty but you know macedonia of course is mountainous which i 
really, really like and love. And I'm not a, I'm not a water guy. Mm -hmm. I don't need an ocean or a beach or a sea, even though I understand that and I can enjoy it and whatnot. But, you know, the lakes and the rivers and in, in throughout Macedonia, and I haven't been to all of them, of course, but I've been to a lot of them. Uh, and the mountains, and then the vineyards, and I mean, there are places, Svetin, in Macedonia that remind me of Tuscany, yeah. you know, and it's just absolutely gorgeous, and the tourism potential, and, and of course, you know, setting aside the pandemic, uh, I think that the number of people coming to Macedonia as tourists over the years just increases year on year, year over year, um, because it has so much to offer, um, uh, and and it's been a absolute joy to be able to travel throughout Macedonia. I, I do want to get, I do want to do more hiking, mm -hmm. you know, in, in future trips because that's something I've been getting re, becoming reacquainted with here in, in Arizona over the past seven years. I used to do it as a teenager mm -hmm. and then got out of practice, especially when I moved to, to Washington. But um, just hiking and, and enjoying the mountains and and uh, there's just some incredibly gorgeous sights in Macedonia. If, if that's if that's what uh, what you enjoy, but but beyond that, of course, you know the vineyards and the wine tourism, and then all all the sporting activities from the paragliding to the horse riding to um, to uh, um, what's the the biking? Um, uh, yeah, mountain biking, mountain biking. Uh, you know, so many different things like that that. Uh, that are open that the Macedonia can uh, can offer. Um, now, that's, that's now we're promoting kind of, all-terrain vehicle uh, riding across mountains, <laughs> thanks to our prime minister. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. but, <laughs> but because of him uh, now, it's it's gosh, you don't really want to do it. No, <laughs> no, no. plus it cuts up the land, you know. You know, mountain biking, hiking, horse riding, fine. You know, it doesn't doesn't tear up the the, the ground as much. And you're you're on well-defined trails, but um, I suppose uh, ATV you are you are as well. Yeah. But, um, I took a little bit of hiking anyway. recently, and now that I have a dog, and uh, <laughs> lo and behold, I, I do one destination which is kind of like little known for a couple of times. And the third time I, I go there, there is already probably somebody got wind of this <laughs> that that <laughs> lazy lazy folks like me are, are hiking there. So there is already like. A, a stand for coffee, for <laughs> drinks. For oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. oh. Well, well. Af after we stop recording, you can tell me where it yeah. is, um, so that you don't want to you don't want to talk about your that your hidden and undisclosed location yeah, yeah. that uh, but, you found that is already well known, of course. But I know you do a more radical type of hiking. But this is this is the type of hiking for me. You like do. twenty minutes hike, uh, cold coffee waiting for you there. Fine, excellent. <laughs> I can. Oh, no, that's fine too. I mean. Although you know European hiking, and I've talked about this with my brother-in-law mm -hmm. a bit because he's he's you know he he and I and we've got a couple other buddies that we hike with around here you know overnight camping uh, with your tents and your food and your stoves and your water, which of course is the most important thing you know especially here in, in Arizona. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure you have water or sources of water, uh, your clothing you know, and then first aid kit and flashlights, all that stuff that you have to put on backpack on your back and then hike you know you know a thousand fifteen hundred meter vertical um you know over 20 mm -hmm. 25 kilometers or more uh but the thing about european hiking is that you have these these mountain houses or mountain huts yep. a, a lot where you, you you just have to have a day pack basically and you get to the mountain house and they've got food and bedding 
maybe showers. Uh, and so it's, it's a much, it's, it's much more <laughs> in some ways civilized way of hiking, I think, uh, and enjoying it. So, uh, although on our hikes, we, we do take our, our beer, our, our uh, scotch, our wine, of course, mm -hmm. uh, which adds to the weight, but it, it makes it a little more civilized and, and enjoyable. Well, of course, that type of, of weight is, you know, like, it's a necessity. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, and the next day, the pack is much lighter, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, yeah, I, I, yeah that's, that's something, and, and I keep telling him and my sister that they've got to, they've got to come over, and, and when they do, we'll, uh, we'll organize some hiking. And he's a fisherman, too, so mm -hmm. I've got to find some... I, I, you've, you're gonna have to let me know if you know you know of any any fishermen there, and good, I know there's plenty of fishing spots, yeah. but um, that's not my forte. So, yeah, me neither. Again, only Girovsky comes to mind, <laughs> <laughs> but we don't want to go there. Uh, no, we don't. So, but uh, yeah. remember when he caught uh, Vilia with with his hook, <laughs> both <laughs> literally and figuratively. <laughs> Yes, yes, indeed. Oh, wow. Um, trying to think of of um, you know, before we we got online here, I was I was trying to think of stories, and and the funny the funny thing was, my my mind kind of went blank. Um, and maybe that's because there's so many stories that I just can't focus on any one in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, past 25 years uh, of course there was you know various war wars uh first of all the uh nato's very defensive bombing of, of what was then yugoslavia mm -hmm. and the um the uh subsequent you know refugees that came in from from kosovo uh, which of course then launched the career of boris trakovsky and made him president yep. at the end of the day uh and then there was 2001 which I was there for, uh, and then some of the other, you know, events that we don't need to necessarily get into. But those were really defining, defining um, uh, events for Macedonia. And of course, 1999. Well, neither 1999, 2001 weren't the fault of, of the Macedonians, um, and yet they they so severely impacted. Macedonia and the Macedonians and you know they're gonna they're in the history books and they'll be written about and talked about for years to come um I'm not really sure where I'm going with this right now but <laughs> that's it that it has been a bumpy ride it it okay. has indeed yeah you know and I guess I, I guess maybe where I'm going with is this is that you know throughout Macedonia's short 30-year history again as a independent modern-day nation-state Macedonia is ancient but in the almost 30 years that this existed as an independent modern-day nation-state, mm -hmm. it has been buffeted and tossed on the waves and, and run, you know, run over and beaten up and you know, attacked in so many different ways, internally, externally, uh, now in a different manner. Um, it's not with you know, with weapon, literally weapons of war, but it's with weapons of words mm. in the case of Bulgaria and Greece. Uh, and I remember it's more in the past, not so much today, but, you know, in the, in the first 
15 years of Macedonia's existence since independence, the pundits all saying, well, you know, Macedonia's going to collapse, and you know, that's just going to bring about a greater Balkan conflagration, uh, and it just can't stand up to all of these things. And yet, and yet, Macedonia hasn't just survived, but in many ways I think it has thrived. And I think all of that speaks to the spirit of the Macedonians that have been able to withstand these attacks, again, more with weapons of war before now with weapons of words. But the Macedonians have been able to withstand these attacks and continue on, you know, with, with life, with the Macedonian culture and tradition everything else that goes with it. And I think that speaks very, very well of the Macedonians in the Republic, in the region, and of course around the world. Uh, and I think that's, to me, that's a bit of good news. Um, and it tells me that Macedonia will not only continue to just survive, but, you know, with a little more work and gumption and stick to and hope and everything that goes with it, not just survive, but thrive. So Yeah, we were able and, to and, lift it up after the war in 2001. Now it's yeah. another whole new set of problems uh, after 2015 and uh, 2018. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure which part was worse, uh, honestly. Uh, because this now, it's, uh, it's an ongoing, it still hasn't finished uh, the current right. round of uh, attacks and uh, uh, dismantling of what was supposed to be a Macedonian nation-state. So we still mm -hmm. don't know what the, extent, the whole extent of the damage is, but uh, we'll see. It's not going to be easy, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and, and you know, the, to your point about a Macedonian nation-state, um, it's, it's, and it's not just Macedonia that's under attack. Of course, the idea of the sovereign nation-state, and now here's where we go deep into thoughts and philosophy and history mm -hmm. and all that. The, the very idea of the modern, of a, of a sovereign national nation-state is under attack from right. the left, whether it's the State Department or the European Union, or even, I might add, NATO, um, because it's, and it's a very Marxian thought to, uh, to uh, try and, obliterate any of these distinctions between the nations and the nation-states, as well as belief, religion, uh, and, and make everybody, quote-unquote, equal, um, which is impossible to do, but that's, that's what their project is. That's the whole project of the European mm -hmm. Union. The European Union, you know, rightly, the founders of the European Union rightly looked at the horrors of World War II, and, but they drew the wrong conclusions, yeah. in my opinion. They, they said that it's... It was, it was nations and sovereignty and quote unquote nationalists that that created all this, and that's not true. It was it was an, it was a corrupt ideology that said we're we're superior to you, we're better than you, and we're and we're going to take your land and kill you. Um, I mean, that was the ideology that created World War II. It yeah. wasn't the idea of a sovereign nation state living within a defined set of yeah. borders that said we enjoy our people, our nation, our language, our culture, our history. And everything that goes with it, that's wonderful. That's that's what makes life worth living: is being able to 
to to go to the various European nation states and the various nation states of the world and and experience something different and different people and everything that goes with it. But that's that's the problem with, um, in my opinion, with the European Union. And again, to a different to a, to a, uh, in a different way, NATO in some ways. Um, but yeah, that's that is what the project is: is trying to to destroy that. Um, and and again, it's not just Macedonia. It's but it seems to be more acutely directed towards Macedonia for whatever reason. I can't quite put my yeah. finger on it, other than the fact that that Macedonia is at a, literally at a crossroads geographically. Uh, there's been the quote unquote Macedonian question hanging mm. around for a hundred plus years, um, and and they think that if they could, you know. I don't know, dilute the Macedonian consciousness or um, not get rid of the Macedonian state. That would create, I think, I think they're even, they're smart enough to know that would create even more problems. But it, it just seems that it's, again, more directed towards Macedonia. I don't know why exactly. Yeah, it's the duplicity. It's the hypocrisy of it all. Like, uh, yeah. uh, first of all, you know, it's the, the funny thing is that uh, the people in Brussels, they were able to come to the conclusion that uh, the, the lesson you, you're supposed to learn out of World War II is that the entire continent of Europe needs to be ruled by one center <laughs> under <laughs> Ein flag and <laughs> that's <laughs> by diktat, <laughs> which is really... <laughs> It's Brussels, not yeah. Berlin. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, but, but from a city that starts on the on the letter B. <laughs> and uh, uh, of course, I mean, there's a bunch of countries in the Balkans which have, in the meantime, had much worse fate than ours, including Croatia. You know, what uh, yeah. hap- what it went through, and not to mention Bosnia, Kosovo, Serbia, yeah. and whatever. Uh, but uh, in our case, is the the hypocrisy of the of the moment that. Uh, the European Union, which is all, you know, at least verbally, it's all sweetness and light and uh, all the good things. Peace, sweetness and light eternal. Yeah. And it's being used for, like, literally for um, members, countries which they were, you know, foolish enough to let join, like Greece, to, to make all of their uh, wildest and uh, pettiest nationalist dreams from the like uh, over 100 years ago, make them true by using the institutions and the uh, uh, the uh, clout of the or the leverage that comes with being an EU member state, which is you know this is the uh, the hypocrisy of our moment. It it would have been much more honest if you know Greece just invaded us or Serbia or Bulgaria or <laughs> Albanians did, of course. Uh, but uh, instead, they try to use the, these institutions for you know like couching their claims to territory uh, through the um, you know, uh, language of Brussels, which makes it all very absurd, very, you know, words have no meaning anymore. Th- then mm. the State Department came here and they started talking about democracy and rule of law and justice, and they just perverted every every uh, sense of these words. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think this is why it's, uh, we're, it's difficult for us to pin it down and uh, even discuss the, the, the issue because... Like words no longer mean anything in right. in this dispute yeah. in this country. Yeah. Well, no, increasingly, and I think that's brought on by the left globally, is that they the words don't mean anything. They continually change the meaning of words. Um, of course, 
there is no truth. There's your truth. There's mm-hmm. my truth. There's his truth. There's her truth. Or in the case of our trans friends, there's they truth. <laughs> um, there is no truth, which is not true. There has to be truth. It's, it's like our old friend G.K. Chesterton says, you know, a, a, a moral standard must remain the same. Otherwise, it is not a standard. Mm. Uh, so and, and there has to be truth and there is truth. But, you know, when you start saying there's no truth or there's your truth, and words mean different thing, then everything's out the window. Um, yep. But it's all, I think it's all directed in service towards what you just said, your point, that it is um, this, for lack of a better word, ruling elite, uh, speaking for the West, you know, China, Russia's different and, and other parts of the world. But, but for the West, it's this movement towards, it is... Um, well, it's, it's, you know, I've written about it, and I think we've talked about him before, the Polish uh, philosopher, writer, and, um, and uh, MEP, although I don't know if he's still an MEP or not, uh, Rizard Lutko, uh-huh. uh, the demon in democracy, uh, who, you know, who writes basically that, you know, quote-unquote, democracy, as we understand it, has more in common with totalitarianism than, than meets the eye, uh, and, and that is the march towards that. So what it, what it means is that, you know, going back to my earlier point about how the Macedonians have not just survived but have managed to thrive, is that you, we just, it's something that you just got to keep working on. Uh, it, it, there's no, there, there are times of rest and respite and times to be carefree and to enjoy the fruits of our labor and life. But overall, the fight always continues. Uh, and it can't be let up of, of not only fighting for the truth and what is right, mm. but in the case of Macedonia, fighting for, you know, the, the preservation of the Macedonian state and the Macedonian people and the Macedonian language, uh, etc. So, yeah. Because it's always going to be under attack, whether it's from the unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats in the State Department or in Brussels or NATO or from Greece or Bulgaria or perhaps Greater Albania, etc. So, um, and I think that's the lesson, and that's, you know, that's that's what I came to learn over twenty five years. I, I certainly, when I arrived in Macedonia in nineteen ninety six, I never would have thought these thoughts. Um, I certainly wasn't thinking about the European Union and NATO and democracy in general the way I think about them today. Yeah. Uh, but I learned a lot, and I learned it quick. Uh, and that's the good news. Uh, and now that I have learned those lessons, I know what I need to do, um, you know, over the next 25 years, if God gives me another 25 years of life and in Macedonia, I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure as long as I'm alive, I'll be involved in Macedonia. I know that for a fact. Uh, yep. uh we'll just see how long it is. Maybe it's 25 times two. Maybe it's 50 years. <laughs> I'll be very old then. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see. You're at like half your lifetime with uh, in and with Macedonia, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, huh. yeah, kind of, kind of a strange thought, especially considering <laughs> that you know it was supposed to be a, a three-month visit, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and actually, and and to be to be honest, uh, you know, there there have been a couple of times in the past twenty-five years when I've said, yeah, yeah. I think I'm done. Actually, yeah. I can only think of two times in particular. Me, uh, me, me too, buddy. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, I'm I'm thankful. 
I'm grateful for Macedonia. I'm grateful for the Macedonians. I'm humbled by what I've learned from Macedonia and the Macedonians over the past 25 years. And uh, I hope, I hope that I have been able to give a little bit of encouragement to uh, my friends and family there and even random Macedonians I've never met and never will meet. Mm. Well, we're definitely happy to have you. We're f fortunate to have you. Yeah, thank you.